Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Hello and welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for coming out today or staying in today, <laughs> wherever you are. And uh, yeah, just sitting together. So nice. So yeah, we're going to be continuing today with the Four Noble Truths. We are on the um, we're on the third Noble Truth today. And so just give me a moment. I'm going to go ahead and just get everyone up to speed. Uh, I'm going to put in the chat box kind of where we where we are. So we've been using it as a, a reference or a guide. Um, this wonderful little booklet by Ajahn Sumedho. It's a very digestible little read. Um, so we've been kind of using this. The whole thing's only like 70, 70 pages. So the Four Noble Truths, of course, are like a really, really big teaching. Um, so this is a way that we can kind of go through it and, and get some understanding for those of you that are, that are already familiar with them, kind of do a review if you're just, you know, if this is an introduction, it's very, very good for that too. Um, what I wrote here, I just kind of put in the chat box, the, the, the four noble truths. Um, there is suffering. That's the first noble truth. The second truth, there is an origin or cause of suffering, which is the attachment to desire. Uh, the third noble truth, there is an end or cessation. Um, which is, you know, the relief, the release of attachment, of suffering. And then the fourth noble truth, that there is a path out. So this is the actual eightfold path, um, is that path, which goes into right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right effort, right mindfulness, and, and right concentration. Um, I will be away next week. Um, so actually, David Lee will be covering the, the final um, noble truth for us. I gave him the hard one. He's got to cover the whole Eightfold Path in, you know, half an hour. <laughs> um, but it'll, yeah, it'll be a, an overview there. So uh, the 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 Four Noble Truths have these these insights. So each one has three insights. So there's twelve insights total, and it's just the truth itself. Um, so we kind of state that that's the first insight. It should be understood and it has been understood. And this is the real core teaching really of the actual, really all of Buddhism is actually these, these insights because we're really inquiring. So the first noble truth is that to inquire, you know, this is, that there is suffering, that suffering should be understood, that suffering is understood, right? And I will finally put the three insights of the third noble truth, which we'll be, be covering today. Uh, there is a cessation of suffering. Suffering is often referenced in, in the Buddhist practice as dukkha. Um, the cessation of, uh, of, of the cessations of dukkha should be realized, the cessation of dukkha has been realized. 
So dukkha, you know, is this word that's sometimes often, you know, translated as suffering, although it's, you know, it's a bit deeper uh, than, than this, but it's this unsatisfactoriness is one of my favorite uh, translations. Um, uh, imperfection, it's like not, not perfect. So when we look at uh, the world around us and we're looking for something that's sustainable and reliable, we uh, have to remember that the things outside of ourselves are unsatisfactory uh, to, uh, in regards to attaining this, this sustainable um, happiness or contentment, right? So it's that contem contemplation. And the main reason for this is, which we'll get into, which is, which is impermanence, you know? So, uh, you know, go, going through, going through this practice and over this past month and really looking into the Four Noble Truths, I'm reminded on why I really love these practices so much and, and these teachings so much. Ajahn Sumedho, when he's covering the, the Third Noble Truth, he speaks about becoming like this, um, this notion that you know, if we become this or we become that, then we're going to get this, you know, this happiness or this contentment. We're always trying to become, you know, something. And also the becoming of, you know, becoming what is arising in our awareness. Like we, we attach ourselves to this and then we, we become that. And sometimes we look at that as, you know, a positive thing, like becoming joy or something, but, but it's fleeting, right? So it's always falling falling away. And so what I think is a real beauty of, of the, four, the Four Noble Truths as a core practice is just the mere fact that Buddha brought this up as the way out, so to speak. You know, in, in my own personal experience and as a longtime seeker, I spent a lot of time seeking and in other traditions, even though I was first kind of introduced to like the idea of enlightenment through, through, uh, through Siddhartha, you know, the book Siddhartha by Herman Hess. I was in high school and I read that and that kind of started off my journey. But then I went and studied a lot of different traditions and a lot of different things. And I realized that I was seeking to become something. And this is how I was kind of taking in the teachings even though they may or may not have been telling me that. <laughs> that. That's how I took it. I took it as I'm trying to become enlightened. I'm trying to become, you know, awakened, I'm trying to become, uh, become more, more loving, more kind, I'm trying to become a better meditator, you know, all of these things. So it's very, very, you know, I, I had so much attachment really, you know, to the seeking or becoming something. You know, so much so I left my whole life, you know, I had a, I had a wonderful life, <laughs> um, but actually I had a lot of suffering. So I left my girlfriend of 14 years. I left, uh, you know, I sold my house. I, I left my, my dog, my two cats. I left a job that was extremely stable. It was a really, really good job. I, I left everything. And I ended up, you know, staying at retreat centers and meditation centers for six years. 
and in you know with this motivation of becoming something that was the way out you know for me and you know it's quite interesting that you know i had this really small uh, little epiphany you know that by the grace of, of a teacher of mine was able to to uh, allow me access to this really just this small this small little epiphany and it was with a little glimpse into non-seeking mind and it's quite interesting because within a few months of, of having that experience i left the retreat centers i i realized i i didn't need this you know that this whole thing that i was seeking it really wasn't what i thought you know in fact yeah i didn't I didn't need to leave in the first place. <laughs> I didn't need to do everything I just did, right? I didn't need that. The Buddha here with the Four Noble Truths is this subtraction problem. It's, you know, he's saying if, if we get insight, these, these little insights into why we're suffering, there's no way we can't, you know, quote unquote, win, you know, like we can't, we can't move into a place of equanimity. It's it's so beautiful. We think of like, well, I was thinking like the Buddha, there's a lot of enlightened beings out there. You know, beings are becoming enlightened. It's who we are. So there's a lot of enlightened beings out there um, over, over time, right? But Buddha stands out because he was such, such a good teacher and, and teaching others how to, how to achieve that themselves. And this is really the core teaching. The core teaching is, is that if we investigate the cause of suffering, that is so, so amazing. It's so different. You know, if we investigate the, the, that, there, that there is suffering, that there's a cause of suffering, and there's a relief, the release of suffering. So if we do this over and over again, <clears throat> Yeah, if we do this over and over again, it's going to become more and more clear, right? So this process, there's going to be less and less suffering. And there's also the very notion that he's bringing this up as the, the, the way out is that we're actually looking for equanimity. In, in my pursuit, I was looking for um this blissful state or this, I was looking for, for an experience, you know, since sometimes I was looking for like, like literally like some kind of visions or, or oneness or, or something like this, right. Instead of the negation of suffering, which is equal to delusion, it's equal to building up a false self. So instead of allowing that to fall away, and clearly seen there's a, there's a real big difference here so i think that you know from the very basic the very basic level of moving towards this whatever we're doing with the idea of releasing suffering and then giving like an exact method on how on how to do it like i think it's just really really brilliant really brilliant on how this is done and so the very the very core nature of this teaching is built upon impermanence right so 
so Ajahn Sumedho kind of goes through this wonderful story of, of an, um, of a being become enlightened, you know, because he, he's just, he literally hears the words of Buddha, you know, speaking to this about everything that arises falls away. And, you know, like that, he, he becomes enlightened. And Ajahn Sumedho is also talking about in this text that, you know, an arhat, you know, fully realized being is, has only realized just this simple truth that whatever arises falls away. So if we could just understand experientially, like the truth of this, whatever arises falls away, then of course, attachment falls away, right? Of course, this notion of, you know, false self, you know, falls away, right? So this is really what we're looking at. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read a little bit. Um, I just was reading a bit, a little bit of Ajahn Shah this, this morning. And uh, he's got some great little quotes on, on suffering. So I thought I'd just, I just read a couple of these and then I'm going to look into the text with Ajahn Sumedho um, here in a moment. When suffering arises, this is Ajahn, uh, Ajahn Shah. When suffering arises, understand that there is no one to accept it. If you think suffering is yours, happiness is yours. You will not be able to find peace. <laughs> Love it. So as the second, the second piece is, you know, this impermanence and of course this emptiness piece, you know. Um, yeah. One more from Ajahn Chah. There are two kinds of suffering, the suffering which leads to, to more suffering and the suffering which leads to the end of suffering. The first is the pain of grasping after fleeting pleasures and aversion for the unpleasant, the continued struggle of most people day after day. The second is a suffering which comes when you allow yourself to feel fully the constant change of experience, pleasure, pain, joy, and anger without fear or withdrawal. The suffering of our experience leads to inner fearlessness and peace. The, the reason why I wanted to bring this one up is this is crucial. This is crucial for our understanding of like, for one, that we're not doing it wrong. Like when we're moving into this practice and we're seeing the reality of, of life and, you know, face to face that, you know, if you're feeling a, a certain way, then it's completely valid, right? Um, and it takes a lot of courage to do this practice. It takes a lot of courage to be with, with things just as they are, right? And we're using the tools that we've been given to look at them non-judgmentally, to bring compassion to mind and loving kindness to mind. And you know, it's kind of a whole set of teachings on how to be with things these just as they are. Um, and to know that it's okay when we can't, like it's totally okay if you cannot be with things as they are, maybe they're too intense right now. And, and we, we have to use our own wisdom there, but, but this is it, its core. This just takes a lot of, a lot of courage to, to, to be with this. So Ajahn Sumedho, you know, he's speaking of um, in this text, you know, that, I sh that link that I shared with you, um, he speaks quite a bit about 
about impermanence. So I'm just going to read a little bit of this um, as we go here. Um, all that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. Now, this may not sound like any great knowledge, but what, what it really implies is a universal pattern. What is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. It is impermanent and not self. So don't attach, don't be diluted by what arises and ceases. Don't look for your refuges, that which you want to abide in and trust in anything that arises because those things will cease. If you want to suffer and waste your life, <laughs> go around seeking things that arise. They will all take you to the end, to the cessation, and you will not be any wiser for it. You will just go around repeating the same old dreary habits. And when you die, you will not have learned anything important from your life. Rather than thinking about it, really contemplate all that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. Apply it to life in general, to your own experience, then you will understand. I would like to emphasize how important it is to develop this way of reflecting. Rather than just developing a method of tranquilizing your mind, which certainly is one part of the practice, really see that proper meditation is a commitment to wise investigation. It involves a courageous effort to look deeply into things, not analyzing yourself and making judgments about why you suffer on a personal level, but resolving to really follow the path until you have profound understanding. Such perfect understanding is based upon the pattern of arising and ceasing. Once this law is understood, everything is seen as fitting into that pattern. So this is what I was seeing that this is what I was saying in the beginning that, you know, by Buddha kind of building this framework, it, it's, it's like a pinball, you know, it's like we're getting that pinball kind of in, in the, in the hole, like where we want it. We, we, we have to move towards uh, the, the awakened mind, right? Because the delusion has to be, you know, chipped away at the delusion of false self, the delusion of permanence, you know, um, the, the delusion of inherent existence, that this is how it is. And it's very firm in this, in this way, all of those things start to get broken down by the invest, the simple investigation that's, that's, existing you know moment to moment this investigation it's not just on the cushion you know this is right view it's seeing things as they are moment to moment seeing ourselves right then we get to the point we're seeing ourselves as we really are that's that's the enlightened the enlightenment aspect which is the concept of self is arising and falling away right um i'm not i'm not how I think of myself, right? not this label of myself. So I'm going to read uh, another piece here. So Ajahn Sumedho, 
he goes into you know impermanence and and then he goes into some you know speaking of emptiness so if we have of course if we have impermanence we have emptiness because things are changing so they cannot be one certain fixed thing of course when we speak of emptiness we're not speaking of nothingness we're just speaking of it's not permanent it's not fixed it's shifting and changing not we're not saying that nothing is here we're saying it's not existing from its own side as one particular thing if we think that it's existing as one particular thing then we can get attached to that particular thing so we lose sight of oh that is shifting and and, and changing So this is a very interesting little segment. So Ajahn Sumedho here is just giving a talk. You know, these are a collection of talks. And then he goes into this, like, pretty deep practice um, that's a real practice. It's an emptiness practice. And it's really deep. And he, he, he's doing it fairly, like, in a nonchalant way, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. I'll, I'll read it to you, then we can kind of examine it more. But it's, it's quite profound. When there is ignorance, conceit, or self-disparagement, whatever it is, examine it. Listen inwardly. I am dot, dot, dot. Like I am, I am this, you know, I am this arrogance. I am whatever. Be aware and attentive to the space before you think it, then thinking, thinking it, and notice the space that follows. So when you're kind of building this self up, you know, I am this, you know, what's there before, during, and after. Sustain your attention on that emptiness at the end and see how long you could hold your attention on it. So this is a great practice just in general, finding the end of things. You could find the end of sound. This is a great practice. Find the end of sound. Find the end of thought. Find the end of an emotion. Notice the cessation piece, find the end. It's a, it's a great practice. So he's saying here, find the end of that, yeah, that thought of what you think you are. This is a really interesting piece. See if you could hear a kind of ringing sound in the mind, the sound of silence, the primordial sound. This is very direct, you know? So it's like primordial. This is something that we're not cultivating. I think this is a primary you know, peace here, something that's arising totally out of nature. When you concentrate your attention on that, so basically on nothing, you can reflect, is there any sense of self? You see that when you're really empty, when there's just clarity, alertness, and attention, there's no self. And again, you're pointing to Where's the permanent fixed self? Like, where is it? We could point to our shoes, but if I say point to yourself, it's really hard to point to yourself, right? There's no sense of me and mind, me and mine. So I go to that empty state and I contemplate Dhamma. I think this is just as it is. This body here is just this way. I can give it a name or not. But right now, it's just this way. It's not tomato. Right? It's not, there's no I attached to this. Right? 
going back to the you know, first noble truth, there's suffering, second noble truth, there's suffering because of, of attachment, third noble truth, um, you know, the, there's, there's a way out. So there's, there's a cause of attachment. So non-attachment, you know, is a third noble truth, not non-attachment, uh, non-grasping. When it's, it's a cessation, there's a cessation of phenomena, there's a cessation of grasping, right? So here he's talking about, and I know we moved quickly through this, but this, this is really in the core teaching is if we don't have a me and a mine, if we could really keep going back to, you know, I like to, I like to kind of look at a thought arising. When does a thought become mine? You know, I had no, I had no, uh, you know, part in this thought arising. It's just arising from nowhere. It's abiding nowhere. At what point is it mine? You know, where's the, where is the mind that owns it? So if we don't have this, this me and the mind and the grasping, you know, could really, really fall away. This is, you know, all of our grasping is to protect, is protect the me and the mind. You know, this is all the attachment, right? But even, even that, even the one who is attempting to be awakened is not there. You know, not only is, is the awakening or what we're looking to achieve not there, because again, if we're trying to reach some state of bliss, well, that which is arises falls away. And so we're not looking for a state of bliss. The state of bliss falls away. We're looking at the, we're looking for uh, the non-state, you know, we're not looking for a state, looking for the ground in which all the states arise, you know, from and fall back into, you know, like, I like his teaching, how he's saying, you know, look at, look at before, during, and after, look at before, during, and after, you know, Longchenpa a great Tibetan master would speak about this in volumes. He'd call it what remains beautiful. What remains, what remains is, could be the only truth. What remains, what remains, what's there before, during and after. Are we grabbing onto things that just fall away? You know, and, and, and this is it. <laughs> this is what we're looking for, right? Um, the cessation, the cessation of of grasping is a cessation of suffering. Right? So let me just see if there's one more. Oh, this is I just a little highlight of this little piece. The same thing I've already mentioned, but this is. Um, An arhat is simply a human being who has perfected life, someone who has learned everything there is to learn through the basic law. All that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. An arhat does not need to know everything about everything. It is only necessary to know and fully understand this law. Again, all that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. An arhat does not need to know everything about everything. It is only necessary to know and fully understand this law. 
you know, coming full circle, full circle into, you know, basic mindfulness practice, basic mindfulness practice. This is why mindfulness is the rudder in the water. If we look at the seven factors of enlightenment and these other factors of a positive mind, uh, mindfulness is the rudder in the water because it's without mindfulness, without attentiveness, without coming back to the present moment, we cannot see impermanence. We cannot see things arising and falling away. A very, very simple, quote unquote, simple breath you know, meditation is so awesome. It's so amazing because we get to see the breath as an organic dynamic phenomena, which mimics the same nature as all phenomena. We get to see it arising abiding and falling away and then when we're sitting there we we notice the sounds because we're here we notice the sounds arising abiding and falling away we notice our thoughts and emotions we start to understand experientially living living this as a awake organism like living the experience of everything arising abiding falling away not being surprised you know, not building up something firm and concrete when we could see, you know, this whole matrix, if you will, just breathing, you know, inhaling, exhaling, living, dying, changing all the time. Right? All right. Yeah, so I definitely want us to kind of see um and our own our own uh, you know thoughts about this so we can break up in smaller groups and connect in, in that way and so I think yeah for for, for this you know practice uh, for these uh, small groups uh, just noticing the cessation like maybe for yourself and it would be similar to what we did last time is like when we hold on when we let go <laughs> so I think we could talk about this we could talk about the suffering of, of holding on. Uh, we could, and we could also talk, you know, kind of commune in that way. Cause we all, you know, hold on uh, things that we don't want to change, you know, and we both, we hold on to um, the craving mind, you know, like I want, I want to become, and I want to experience. So maybe speaking to that, if you like, and also speaking uh, to times when you have, more flowed with the experience of change, you know, flowed with the experience of things arising and, and falling away and uh, yeah, connecting in, in that way too. All right. So just closing our eyes for a moment here, just dedicating the merit, just thinking of, of others uh, in this moment that don't have the opportunity to sit and to be together. And thinking of all the beings, like Don was saying, you know, suffering and just looking at suffering as just another moment arising is really, really rare. May all beings find this truth within themselves to see reality, how it's arising, just as it is. May all beings be happy. May all beings be free from suffering.
Thank, thank you, all of you. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.